0: Hey, goal friends it's me adrian or aiden either way i am still your host and you are still listening to susto the podcast of ooky spooky scary stories welcome back how are you spooky i hope i am as well before we get started with anything i want to do something really quick and i'm gonna go through and like i should have done in the last couple of episodes but hey we're still in the month of january i just want to go through and i want to thank all of my patrons as many of you know and some of you may be new here all patrons of the show get a monthly monthly shout out on the show basically just like a thank you for all of your support i greatly appreciate it and i try and think of new and different ways to show you that appreciation as much as i can so for the month of january i want to give a big big thank you in no particular order just as it's listed here on patreon.com susto podcast to julie Lori, karen julianne stephanie amanda Angela & Co, Sam, Josette, Victoria, Dee, Eva, Mario, April, Spooky Lou, Rachel, Sadie, and Liza, thank you all so, so much from the bottom of my dark, spooky heart. I can never thank you all enough for how much I appreciate your support. And also, giving me the opportunity to bring some what I think are really cool things to you. If you haven't seen most recently, it was a one-time thing. I worked a deal out with this artist, and you can listen about her in my last episode, or you can go follow me on socials, specifically TikTok, because I, I I thought it was a really cool TikTok. <laughs> and I made a video showing this uh, artwork that this artist made, and she allowed me to produce it in like a gold or a red foil finish and it just it looked it just looks super cool so just make sure that you're following at susto podcast on tiktok facebook instagram and twitter for any and all updates on the show and yeah that that art piece it was a one-off i may do it again but you know, that, those are the kinds of perks that you get when you are, and I'll be very clear, that's what you get when you are signed up to be a best goal friend, so the top tier. If you have any questions about the Patreon, go ahead and visit patreon.com slash sustopodcast and you can see exactly how it works out. I have everything laid out on there. And yeah, if you feel like being generous and supporting me in that way, please feel free to do so. Once more, if you have your own scary stories that you would like to share, you can do so by sending those to sustopodcast at gmail.com. You can also get them to me in the DM and any of the social media or leave it in a review and it doesn't have to just be a story it can also be video audio recording whatever Uh, anything that's just like spooky creepy unexplainable to you please send it to me i'd love to hear about it and to share it on the show okay so i actually also have a letter from the beyond that i want to read to you all and this one is from stephanie who is one of my best girlfriends on patreon hey girlfriend thank you for sending this in so her story goes my mom comes from a family of eight siblings The typical Mexican family, Catholic, faithful, no belief in the supernatural, occult, etc. When we would talk about ojo de venado, yerbas, etc., my nana used to say, Yo no creo en tonterías, no más creo en Dios. After making her way to Los Angeles, my grandmother settled in a small community just outside of East Los Angeles called Lincoln Heights. Her home was at the base of a hill that was always so scary to me. Dark, spooky, coyotes, weird sounds... My aunt always told us that La Llorona lived on flat tops, the local name for the hills. It was enough to terrify us as kids. I have attached a few photos. One day, when I was probably around 8 years old, my aunt asked my mom to talk about the woman they saw on the hills when they were younger. My mom quickly changed the subject and said she did not remember and didn't want to talk about it. She was visibly upset and it made me super nervous. I tried to keep it out of my mind but never forgot about it and thought about it from time to time. When I was about 15, she and my aunt finally told the cousins the story of the woman they saw in the hills. It was a cold and windy day, and they were outside of my nana's when they looked into the hills and saw a woman walking. If we're keeping it real, my nana lived in the hood, lol. Everyone in the neighborhood were working class people, everyday gente. My mom said that the woman was high up in the hill with a long, flowy dress. Not anything someone local would be wearing. Also, who would be able to climb up on the hill with a long, flowy dress on? The woman also had a little white dog with her. My mom said that it was windy, so the woman's dress was silently flowing in the wind. My mom and her sister were terrified. They ran in to tell my nana about the woman and everyone came out only to see the woman had vanished. The area has a lot of history and so many things have happened to us in the neighborhood and the surrounding areas. In the same house, my cousin and I saw a menacing mariachi looking into the kitchen window, and when my grandmother was on hospice, in her home, she would often call out for the children to stop yelling, or ask us, why was that man hanging? Ken confirmed there were no children or hanging people around. My aunt still lives in the home, and it has so much significance in the lives of my family. The backyard is just so damn scary, though. Not a long story, but a story that is still unexplained and hard for my mom to tell because she is so logical and skeptical. Loving the show. Thank you so much, Stephanie. This is totally, like, some, like, version of a story that I've heard from my family, too. I remember, I think I've mentioned to you all uh, previously about this place called El Rincon del Diablo, or The Devil's Corner in English, and it's in, it's in Edcouch, Texas, which is the neighboring city of the city that I grew up in, so I spent a lot of time there, but I remember my dad took me there one time, and they would say that they would see, and it wasn't a hilltop, it was it like it was like a mound of dirt because there was an abandoned train track there and so people would say that they could see the the spirits of the people that passed away building those tracks on it so just like the visualization kind of took me back to that space uh, that you and your cousin you all saw this menacing mariachi that, uh, so first of all creepy no matter what it is if it's a real person a, a, a spirit a creature a ghoul like whatever it is that is creepy i think it's almost more scary if it's an like an actual person because what are you doing? Like, there's never good intentions when someone's looking menacingly into a window. But they reminded me of episode 25, El Sombrerón, because it's about this entity that serenades young women, and he tries to play music to lure them out of their houses, and he's known to cut off their braids and collect them. So if you haven't heard that episode, it's very that. And he he said to wear, I mean, El Sombrerón, it's in the name, a sombrero, a hat. So it reminds me again of this, like, image of a Mariachi. So maybe you saw saw sombrero and he did not get I mean, unless he didn't you left that out, but I don't think you would have left that out. But he did not collect your hair. Serenade your serenade you and collect your hair. So good job avoiding that. Again, thank you, Stephanie, for sending that in. And if you all have your own creepy story, audio, video, picture, whatever it is that you want me to share on the show or on the show's social media pages, you can do so. You already know how. Just send those in to me and I will share them for you. So we'll move on to today's story. And today's story is La Pascualita. embalmed corpses are not an unheard of tourist attraction. Several popes are on view at the Vatican and visitors still flock to see Lenin's preserved body in Moscow's Red Square. Yet however macabre, these corpses serve something of a historical purpose. But that's not quite the case with La Pascualita, a Mexican tourist attraction that has long had people wondering whether it's a mannequin or a corpse being used as one. In March of 1930, Pascuala Esparza's bridal boutique in Chihuahua, Mexico, displayed its new mannequin. Esparza can't have known that this action would create a debate lasting decades, but it has. To this day, the consensus is divided. In contrast to the blank, white mannequins that dominate shopping malls and whose only purpose is to show off the clothes they are dressed in, La Pascualita's elaborate wedding dress is often only the second thing Passerby will take note of, thanks to her eerily realistic features. La Pascualita is almost certainly more lifelike than any department store mannequin you've ever seen. With rosy cheeks, natural flowing hair, clear eyes, and extremely realistic hands. Even her legs have varicose veins. She makes Passersby feel uneasy. It also didn't help that the mannequin paid striking resemblance to Esparza's recently deceased daughter. Something that the locals quickly realized. You see, not long before this mannequin appeared, Esparza's daughter died on her wedding day. According to the story, the daughter was preparing to be married when she was tragically bitten by a black widow spider and succumbed to its poison on her wedding day. It wasn't long after her death that the mannequin appeared in the shop window giving birth to the legend that it was no mannequin at all, but the perfectly preserved body of the unlucky would-be bride. The appearance of a new, extremely lifelike mannequin might not cause too much concern, but for this mannequin to bear striking resemblance to the store owner's dead daughter was a bit too much for the locals. Because of this, locals began speculating that this mannequin was actually the embalmed corpse of Esparza's daughter. And who can blame them? Since then, the speculation has grown. Is this mannequin dubbed La Pascualita really the corpse of Pascuala Esparza's daughter? Or is it just a mannequin created with incredible attention to detail? Over the decades, many people have chimed in with their opinions on La Pascualita. From experts like funeral directors and morticians to amateurs, there are compelling arguments to be made from both sides of the debate. Customers have claimed that La Pascualita's eyes follow them as they walk around the store, or that they have turned around to find her suddenly in a different position. Her presence is rumored to even unnerve some of the shop workers, with one claiming, Every time I go near Pascualita, my hands break out in a sweat. Her hands are very realistic and she even has varicose veins on her legs. I believe she's a real person. Another local legend claims that La Pascualita is indeed just a mannequin, or at least started out that way. According to this version of the story, a visiting French magician became so entranced by the bridal mannequin that he would visit her window each night and bring her to life, dancing with her and bringing her around town before returning her to the storefront each morning. Overwhelmingly, experts agree that La Pascualita is not a corpse. For a corpse to stay in such pristine condition the environment must be perfect, the embalming must be flawless, and constant work would need to be done, something that is not possible in a small-town bridal shop window. Even if all these could be achieved, and that's a big if, it's unlikely that after 80 years the corpse would look the way La Pascualita does. Let's compare her to the corpse of Lenin, for example. Embalmed in 1924, Lenin looks nowhere as good as La Pascualita. It's improbable that La Pascualita, a mannequin that sat in a shop window for 80 plus years, could be in better condition than Lenin's corpse. It has a team of experts that carry out work frequently and it's kept in a very stable environment. Two important things that La Pascualita does not have. Even with this information, people still believe that La Pascualita is an embalmed corpse. And it's no surprise. Her hands are incredibly realistic And because of this, even some experts aren't 100% sure she isn't a corpse. They seem to have discolored over time, and the cuticles have dried out and drawn back from the nail beds, much like the hands of a corpse would. Regardless of which side you take, and whatever her true origins, La Pascualita has become a local legend in her own right over the decades. Whether she is the corpse of Pascuala Esparza's daughter, or an incredibly detailed mannequin, her fame has rocketed Esparza's humble bridal boutique into the haunted Hall of Fame. The details of the mannequin's origins are almost impossible to confirm, and even the name Pascuala Esparza may have been an invention after the fact. Next time you're in Chihuahua, head past Esparza's bridal shop and take a look. La Pascualita is still there, and she may even look back at you. So I heard of this story from someone left a, a review on Apple and they mentioned the story about the bridal mannequin or said like they brought this up in their review. And so I, I looked it up and I was like, okay, great. This is going on the list. And then I also saw a TikTok about it. I'm going to try and find the TikTok and I'll repost it on social. So keep an eye out for it. Yeah, I thought the story was super interesting. I want to say the TikTok that I saw and I wish I had saved it. The, the person who made the TikTok, they were saying that it had turned out that someone did like a test or something because that's what I'm thinking like I understand that it's there's like a lot of theory behind it and I don't know like I'm sure like it would have to be paid for but I feel like if it was this big of of a sensation test the mannequin you know just take a piece off of the hand or like a, a a sample, basically, and test the material and be like, is this plastic or wood or whatever mannequins are made out of? Or is it human flesh is the easiest way to tell. But then also it's like, what if whoever owned the mannequin or still owns it just doesn't let anyone get near it, you know? To me, it seems like there's an easy solution to, like, figure that out, but I also really love the lore of it, because I've seen the pictures, and I'm gonna, of course, I'm gonna post pictures uh, of her on the socials, and also, I will post pictures, the pictures that uh, Stephanie sent me, so you can check those out, again, at Sisto Podcast and all the socials. When they're zoomed in on the hand, I'm like, yeah, you can see it, you can definitely see it. As I was doing the research for this, there were a lot of people that were like, well, like, it's very easy to create this, and, you know, like, sharing their own kind of theories to debunk it. But also, we have to keep in mind that this mannequin was put on display in, like, the 1930s, and they don't... They didn't, I'm assuming, have the capabilities to recreate special effects makeup or, or quote-unquote lifelike or realistic prosthetics and so I like yeah it, it's very easy for us to create a mold of a hand and then cast it in silicone so it looks like real flesh and then paint it you know like like yeah it's easy but I'm not sure that they had all the access to all of the I'll call it technology or equipment that we have now to creating those things like now you can make anything pretty much and make it look realistic If someone were to put a mannequin like that on display now, yeah, it'd be kind of uncanny because it's like, wow, that looks like a real person, but it's not. But back then it's like, how would they have achieved that effect of making her look so realistic that it caused this sensation in uh, Chihuahua? So that's the only part that gets me is they didn't have all that stuff to make her look real back then, but somehow people were convinced. And also before I dive into these other two links that I have for context, the two links that I have for or that I use to put the story together are from History 101 and All That's Interesting. And again, you can find all the links that I use on the Patreon. This is the Google Docs, it's podcast. So the first one that I want to talk about, it talks about the mummies of Guanajuato because if La Pascualita is actually the corpse of Pascuala's daughter, then this would be a case of mummification, right? It would be a very mysterious mummification because as we heard in the story, it's almost impossible to keep a corpse in as good of a condition as La Pascualita is in without very specific controlled care. You know, you can't just put a body on display and expect it to stay mummified or preserved. Like, it has there has to be very specific things that go into that. But either way, I was like, if she is a corpse, then this is mummification. And so I was like, is there any history of mummification in Mexico? And one of the first results that popped up is the history of the mummies of Guanajuato. And so, essentially, what happened with the mummies of Guanajuato is that there was an outbreak of cholera. And cholera, it's a pretty scary disease... in in around 1833, and what happened with these bodies, these mummies of Guanajuato, is that they were disinterred between 1870 and 1958. So what happened is that during that time, there was a tax in place requiring a fee to be paid for quote, perpetual burial. And some of these bodies, the, the, the fee or the tax was not paid, so they had to be disinterned. And some of them were in good condition. Anyway, they were stored in a nearby building. And so what happened at, at the time, apparently the, the climate in Guanajuato provided a really good environment to lead to like a natural mummification. So again, it would have to be the right environment for that to happen. But also in combination with that, Later studies also determined that some of those bodies the bodies that were in really good condition to be displayed were already partially embalmed so that also leads to this preservation of the body when it's embalmed well by the 1900s these mummies they began attracting tourists and the cemetery workers they would charge people a couple pesos and they would let them into the building where bones and mummies were stored so this like interest in the macabre and with death really it's something that pervades almost all cultures i think our i think each culture's view on it is going to be different and how each culture navigates it is different but there's there's always just some like interest and again to some people it seems macabre and to others it's natural because death is natural it's birth and death are some of the most natural things unfortunately there are also now a commodity which is horrible even in death when you're trying to rest someone's like hello we're here to collect are you kidding me you want to collect, t- honestly, if this happened, if I saw my body being dug up because someone couldn't charge me rent, it's rent, basically, it's rent, it's cemetery rent, okay, I'm going to stop <laughs> before I go on this huge rant, but I would be pissed if I was dead and I saw that, I would haunt, I would haunt, that's, I would just choose violence and hunt That's horrible. So that's how we ended up with these mummies, is that the tax was not being paid on some of these bodies to stay buried. And because there were so many people dying because of the cholera outbreak, that's the whole reason I introduced it, is these bodies that were not being paid for, they were like, all right, they gotta go. We gotta push them out to make space for these new bodies who are paying for the tax, you know? So anyway... Uh, I'm going to read a quote, from and this is from a Wikipedia entry. It says, The mummies began to be exhumed from a Guanajuato cemetery when a law was enacted locally requiring families to pay a, quote, burial tax to ensure the perpetual burial of a loved one. If the tax was not paid, the body was removed. Being naturally mummified, it was stored in a building above ground, and people began paying to see the bodies in the late 1800s. The law requiring the burial tax was abolished in 1958. I know that feels like a long time ago for some people but that was not that long ago it was like 72 73 years ago so this says as of 2007 this museum continued to exhibit 59 of the total 111 mummies in the collection so I wonder if this place is still open actually and then that'd be an interesting visit huh so that again was what popped up when I was looking into the practice of mummification in Mexico there is one more that I have here and it's the mummies of Guanajuato Mexico Mexico, screaming corpses buried alive. As I mentioned in the first, or as I read in the first entry, some of the bodies that were really well preserved were were that way because they were partially embalmed. And we know that embalmment can preserve the body in a way. So that's telling me, and I don't know when embalming started. I'm glad it's a practice now because being buried alive is horrible fear but that's telling me that at the time not everybody was embalmed. and so in this entry it's talking about the same thing the the cholera outbreak in guanajuato and how some bodies had to be disinterred and then put in display but what happened is that oh, actually you know what I think I got it wrong really quick correction so I maybe just missed that part but in this this link or in this entry it's saying time passed and the cholera epidemic was mostly forgotten so it could be that this happened this like a uh, burial text happened after After the cholera outbreak, because there were so many bodies that they had to bury, I'm guessing they they had to make room either way. So it's still like same idea, but the tax was... Enacted after the outbreak. So in in this entry, it's also saying, once disinterred, the townspeople were shocked to see that the bodies were remarkably well preserved. In fact, they had been mummified. Scientists determined that the unique soil composition, arid, low humidity weather, and 6,000 feet above sea level elevation of Guanajuato kept the bodies from decomposing. That explains more or less why those bodies were. Were mummified, and again, it's those perfect conditions. Okay, so there was one specific story on this entry that I wanted to share with you all, and I'll just read from here. It says, Sadder still is the legend of Ignacia Aguilar. Ignacia had a heart condition which caused her heart to slow to the point that she appeared dead. During one of her spells, her family believed she had died. In the rush to contain cholera, they buried her. When she was disinterred, she was found turned over in her coffin, as if trying to push it open with her back. Her arms were lifted above her head, and she appeared to have bitten her arm and blood was found in her mouth. This is one of those legends that I guess the writer of this entry couldn't really confirm, but that is... That has to be one of the the most terrifying things to imagine. I... Ugh. And that's why I'm saying I am so happy that the practice of embalming is a common practice now because I can't imagine someone going through this. Okay, so I actually have found an, another entry on this website, uh, Mummipedia, <laughs> and they're they're talking about this same person. And there's references, accidental mummies of Guanajuato. Oh my god. Okay, I'm going to throw these links into the Susto Google Docs as well so that y'all can see through this if you have access to it. This seems to corroborate that story, that that actually did happen to someone, and that is so sad and so terrifying to think of. I wonder if there's any, like, actual reference. I'm that I'm that kind of person. Like, if I if there is a paper trail, I want to see it. I want to see the paperwork. I want to see it. But there there's a few websites that are pointing to yes, this this actually happened to someone. Ghoul friends, thank you so much for joining me on this story. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please do me a big, big favor and consider subscribing where you were listening to. If you haven't done that yet, what are you doing? Hit that subscribe button, hit the follow button. And while you're at it, please, please leave me a five-star review or rating wherever you're listening. I know different platforms have different ways of that system, but each one's going to have it. There's some way that you can engage with the show that will help me out, and I super appreciate it. Again, as always, make sure that you're following the socials at Susto Podcast on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook for any and all updates on the show and some really cool behind the scenes content. I'm going to start doing the Susto vlogs again. I actually have a fun idea for one that's going to be a little interactive for my patrons my my best school friends especially so we'll see we'll see i'll I'll release more details for that when i get closer to it and uh, if you have any of your own scary stories or content whether it be video audio photos whatever you have send it to me so i can share it on the show or on the social medias again you can do that by dming any of the socials emailing sustopodcast at gmail.com or leaving it in a review either way thank you for listening thanks for tuning in and i'll talk to you later and um don't play with the mannequin bye